Will Atkinson is the managing director of Atlantic Books UK. And please forgive my ignorance, but is that connected with Grove Atlantic? Uh, yes, it is, but not, not currently connected. I, Morgan Entrican, who is the owner of uh, and uh, runs Grove Atlantic in the US, decided he wanted a UK version, so therefore he founded um, us. Uh, in the year 2000. So it was him and Toby Mundy, um, who's, who's, the, who's my predecessor here. But at the moment, or currently, yes, we carry Morgan's name and the company, but he, he doesn't actually own any of it um, as it's, it stands. It's so Alan and Unwin. It's right? Alan and Unwin who, who own 80% of us, so essentially we're, we're a subsidiary of Alan and Unwin. And do you, you sell their backlist? Uh, Alan and Unwin. Or Grove and Atlantic? Uh, for Grove Atlantic, yes, we do. Uh, well, we sell... Uh, we sell and publish a, a, number, a, a range of uh, uh, Grove titles, okay. 12 to 15 a year. So that's, a, that's been ongoing uh, really since the word go. And uh, that actually is in, an increasing part of our business right now. So Morgan's actually spending, you know, <coughs> giving us more, more rights so that we, we're, we're publishing and distributing more of his titles um, through, through Atlantic at the moment. Okay. You came to Atlantic in 2014? Late 14, yeah. Yeah. You were offered that plum because of your spectacular work with the Independent Alliance. Uh, I, mean, I, knew, I knew them. I knew, I knew Alan Unwin, the people at Alan Unwin, basically because Faber had, was distributed by Alan Unwin in, in, in Australia. Yeah, and I was, I was well known in the trade basically because that Independent Alliance thing, which we all founded, I, mean, I, I kind of ran it, but it was, it was, it was a confluence of of people and the compliments of necessity, if you like, for us to have something. Uh, yes, and if we could just explain it, sure. it, was a, it was a group of independent publishers that, instead of just going in one by one to sell their books, felt that it was a, a better approach to, to, to work as a team. There's, there's always been voluntary uh, associations or partnerships between independent publishers, independent publishing publishing. They tend to be good at partnerships because we we can't own everything, uh, you know, like a penguin or a random. So therefore, we have to be. The quality of partnership is very important to to, to survival. I think what the alliance did, uh, which hadn't been done in the past, is that it was, it was it was very nailed down. There were contracts between us, and there was a, a sort of a commercial imperative to be in the alliance. And yes, well, there were arguably some of the well, certainly not arguably, unarguably, there was some of the elite of independent publishing were in. We're in the bag, and you um, were uh, you were the sales and marketing director for Faber. Yes, and uh, and Faber directed the sales effort. It, it was now a cart approach, in that not everyone did did the same thing uh, through through the alliance because the bigger companies would want to sell some of their books themselves, right. uh, and the smaller ones couldn't, uh, and therefore. But really, it was about it was to a certain extent about heft in the market, uh, but really it was about access. So being able to talk to Amazon properly supermarkets uh, where people wouldn't get in to see people on their own but would be as part of a group um, and it was attractive because independent publishing tends to be attractive to people but also it was it was a sort of gathering of gathering of cats but I think 2009 um, was kind of the big year and um, at that point we became the fifth largest publishing group in Britain so you had the big four and then there was us so at that point it and who did us include sorry Faber, Canongate, Profile, uh, Quercus at that time, uh, Atlantic, Granta uh, came came in at that point, Short Books, uh, an icon. 
I really hope I'm not missing one. <laughs> Portobello, were they in? Portobello were, were always actually were part of well, they were part of Granter at that point. Okay. Or at one point, they were part of Atlantic. But um, so between us, uh, and the Quirkus thing was important too. They were independent at the time, and they had so they had Steve Glasson going gangbusters at the time. So we we came from a sort of oh, you know, aren't they independents lovely to actually a must have. So we had we had a series of must-have books. Uh, Obama, uh, two Obama books that Jamie published at Canongate was also happening at the same time. Um, Eat shoots and leaves had happened, but new scientists had sold millions and millions. So it, it was so they pretty well had to deal with you. Though. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, we had we we had some must-haves. Yeah, than, yeah. Oh, let's let's deal with the big four, um, and then maybe get some Macmillan and Time Schuster and, and, and Bluesbury books in, and then oh, we know, let's not bother about the rest. So it was uh, that that was becoming the fifth largest group was really important. It had never really been done before in that way. You know, there was a commercial imperative to be part of that group rather than just two independent publishers kind of coming together and having a bit of a nice nice chat and saying, well, maybe we should do this together. You know, there was infrastructure and there was, uh, it was a you know, big operation. And keeping the show on the road uh, was, my, was my job, I guess. Mm-hmm. So it was um, all that being the centre of it is really about faith and about trust from the other people just to, just mm-hmm. to make sure that those other companies feel that they're getting enough of your time and enough of the thrust. But really, the alliance was a sort of first among equals. Yes, Faber was the biggest and therefore provided the infrastructure, but the the spirit was not... You know, everyone contributed the spirit. It's funny, it's... Uh, uh, I used to have a small media rep house, and it's the same idea. You go in and you talk to... A key decision maker, and you put a selection of uh, services in front of them. Yeah. And as long as all those services are seeing an increase in their business, then yeah. you're everyone's happy. Yeah, that's spot that's spot on because at that, I think through. I mean, we founded the alliance in two thousand five, and I think through that time six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, everyone, everyone grew. Yeah. Every every single one. So it wasn't. You know, obviously, everyone has good publishing years and bad publishing years, but it was kind of right in thinking that everyone grew. Some of that was just pure coincidence, and that we had Booker Prize winners and and you know, other other prize winners at the same time as Steve Glass, and the same time as Obama, and the same time as New Scientist books. But uh, the, the collective was certainly uh, we were getting to see a lot more markets than we would have done otherwise through those through those years. And you weren't tripping over each other then. They, there was a sort of a defined, you go after these people and we won't interfere. So there was a territory for the independent uh, alliance, was there? or Yes, yeah, sort of. I mean, I think one of the most useful things that, that a sales team can do is obviously sell your books abroad. So there was an alliance uh, you know, field, field team in Europe, there was one in... Uh, one in the Middle East, uh, and, and, and people going to the Far East. Though people had, again, everyone had very, very slightly different uh, arrangements, but only slightly, only slightly. So we all, we all ended up with Alan Unwin in, in Australia, for example, but mm. but with people having individual relationships with Alan Unwin, and then Penguin or in, in uh, um, uh, South Africa or in India would have maybe slightly, would be very slightly different arrangements. But right. essentially, everyone kind of did the same same thing okay. and then the bigger companies would sell on their own to Waterstones let's say or WH w. Smith Travel it was really if you could do if you could do things by yourself and prosper go for it fill your boots but if you couldn't then come back to the mothership that's what I said about a la carte and that, that did work for everyone mm-hmm. 
So you increased your key responsibility, I guess, was to increase Faber sales to start with, and then the others were, if, if they did well, then Faber benefited from that because you got a percentage of their yeah. sales. Yes, that's true. But also, it was a, it was a, you know, I hope it was a two, well, it was a two way thing. Being part of a bigger thing was going to be good for Faber anyway. What we really tried to avoid was that it was Faber and then a whole bunch of third parties. Mm. Because I really that that's a sort of death knell. Because that means that you're second, third, fourth, fifth out of the bag. And mm. Often that wasn't the um, that wasn't the point. Um, because it, you led with the the must have book. Then yeah, exactly. You, so if yeah. you got a, if you got a, if you had a new Steve Larson, that was going to yeah. be. You know that was going to be the biggest book at, at, out of the bag, or, or you know some Canon Gate, you know piece of event publishing, or or, or whatever, or, or New Scientist, or Eat Shoots and Leaves, or Mary Beard, or you know whatever. So, it, but you know, each salesperson would would doctor accordingly. But 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 Faber benefited in the same way as the others. I mean, Faber, I, I can't remember the numbers, but it's a one percent of the market or one and a half percent of the market. Together, we were more like five or six. So there was a multiplication for everyone. It just yeah. for the smaller ones that have to be bigger. Yeah, so Faber benefited in, in, in both ways, part from being part of the bigger thing with the access they wouldn't have had otherwise. And yes, the commission, as well, the commission that we got from those, those companies. But it was about sharing. So as, as, as we grew, then therefore the commission rates fell mm-hmm. so that people got a better deal. And again, you sort of leveraged whatever was hot. Yeah, in some ways... The independent alliance is just is just two words that we put together <laughs> to describe what we were doing. But it was a sort of brand. It, you know, it, it, it was like a, a lightning conductor for the rest of the independent sector. We were mm. we were very noisy, probably a bit annoying, and we were quite shouty about our success. I mean, every and that comes from being smaller anyway. Is that if you're smaller, you have to you have to look like you're punching above your weight, mm-hmm. and we were doing that kind of all the time. So I. I spent a lot of time being either quoted or misquoted in all the trade, all, all the trade mags. So we were seen as a that the independent voice was was always kind of at the front row of whatever was going on in the book trade. It, it's less necessary now, but certainly through those probably the first five or six years, we did that. You know, it, it was it was kind of constant. But you, each of you, have such terrific brands as well, though. People ask me, oh gosh, you know, there must be internal competition, and how do you, how do you decide, and all that kind of thing, and I was. A, all our customers were thrilled that we're all in the same place. Particularly, particularly, I have to say the the, the Europeans because it's not easy to get to. So I didn't, you know, I didn't worry about the internal competition because we we were, we were so customers were so keen on having us all together. And actually, the the like the likeness, even though the, the companies are pretty different, but the if everyone worried about them, them being too near each other in the publishing, you know, you only have to go down. You know what used to well certainly in the old days of Charing Cross Road. There was a reason why there were twenty five bookshops all in one one mm-hmm. go. They yeah, were, yeah. They, it was a destination place, and it was yeah. the same thing. It like car dealerships, yeah, like, exactly. You know, yeah. just on the outside of the outskirts of town, exactly. You've got the you've got the four next to the Toyota, and, and it was the same same process. It, it was it was we were, we were there. We were accessible. That's the big thing about smaller independence. It's the you know they're not tucked away, but they're just less easy to deal with. If you're yeah. a very very busy supermarket buyer and you're inexperienced let's say why you know you can fill up your your tesco or sainsbury's or whatever with with a call to penguin random house quite frankly and Mm -hmm. you miss out on a few hashtag goodies and a few harper goodies so okay you make three calls 
and then you, if you're more experienced, you make four or five calls, you know, to to the, to the other big ones. And then if you're only one or two percent of the market, you can easily get left out. But mm. if you're five or six percent of the market, it's much. You, you may as well make that fifth call as well. Yeah. And that was the yeah. whole. That was kind of the whole point. So we all benefited from that. Okay. So prior to that, you were in charge of marketing and sales for Faber for what, 10, 15 years. Less than that, I think. I think the marketing. The marketing thing came, I think, in about 2006 or so. Okay. I've been at Faber for, for quite some time by then, up to 12, 12 years or so. In the 20 years I was there, I had, had about 10 different job descriptions, which mean, meant they, they thought I was brilliant but had no idea what app. You know? <laughs> right. But really, it was, it was, it was, I started as a sort of paperback publisher um, mm-hmm. in, in, in 1994, but then moved, moved into sort of marketing for a while, uh, on, again on the paperback side, and then... Then on to paper sales and marketing, and then and then switched into sales. So you know, and then a, a fairly traditional route up, if you like. If that's the right right word. So I was, I was UK sales director by um, yeah, about two thousand, I guess, something like that. And prior to that, you worked at Waterstones. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I worked Waterstones in the, in the what I would regard as the the, the, the golden era. And I, I joined not quite at the beginning, but when there were five stores in nineteen eighty five. And uh, it was an amazing time. Where was it the golden era? It was just well, we were opening shops all the time, and we thought we were changing the world, and we were. You know, we were very confident in what we were doing. It was extremely expansionist. It was. It was. There were heady days. You know, mm. we were very young, most of us, uh, with extreme responsibility. I opened a couple of shops, Cheltenham and Guildford, and you know, I was a kid really. You know. <laughs> Million pounds of stock, you know, twelve or thirteen staff, and t- you know, Tim gave us a lot of a, a lot of responsibility very early on, and we we responded in kind, quite frankly. But they were heady days; they really were. The last job I did was in Hampstead, mm-hmm. which I didn't, you know, I didn't open. That'd been open some time, and that was that was certainly the golden time of events. You know, it was really before the explosion in in, in literary festivals, um, and they were quite. Hay had only just started. Edinburgh was was quite sort of sombre, um, and Cheltenham really the literary side was not as extensive as it is now, and that was kind of it. So the book the bookshops, and particularly well, very much Waterstones, were the people who drove the readers' uh, interaction, physical interaction with authors, and that was the Waterstones were, were were brilliant at that, pioneered it. Um, there was some sort of Superstars who did that within the within the group, but Hampstead was a, certainly a plum place. A because of obviously its location, and B because authors like going there too. There was, was a glamorous edge to it, but also you you were a genuine opinion former there. You know, lots of media lived up in Hampstead, and what was in your store, and what, what how they talked to you, and what was what was hot and what was not, kind of mattered. Mm-hmm. This is uh, Michael Joseph. From the Adventure of Publishing, 1949. The ideal preparation for the publisher, well, let's just start a little bit prior to that. Salesmen are born and not made, but an enthusiasm for salesmanship and books bring should bring anyone the chance of a congenial and remunerative job in publishing. The ideal preparation is at least six months in a good lending library or behind the counter of a bookseller's shop. First-hand experience of the reading and buying public 
is invaluable, the bookseller's assistant will also gain immensely useful knowledge of the output and methods of all publishers, of seasonal sales, trade literature, book prices, jackets, and possibly of accounts and publishers, travelers as well. Of all preliminary experience, I regard book selling as the most valuable, if only because it brings one into first-hand contact with the ultimate arbiters of the publisher's fate, the customers themselves. <laughs> yeah. So you got that. I think that's probably right. I mean, I think you need some really strong basis, and, and book, bookshops are kind of the obvious, the obvious place. There are, of course, there are other ways to learn learn your trade. Um, but some kind of grounding—that's the right—that's the right word. Grounding mm-hmm. uh, is is important. My ground, my grounding went on for, for nine years rather than six yeah. months. I have to say, <laughs> slow learner, right? <laughs> slow learner, yeah. exactly right. Um, and I, you know, and I was enjoying it. Um, yeah, and I, and I think so. The, the, the very the entry level jobs in publishing are actually not particularly interesting because, mm-hmm. we, and they're not particularly well paid. Either. And they're very badly paid. I'm not yeah. telling them not well paid either. But because we publish books every month, at the lower levels of, of publishing. The start, the start of that was you, they're very routine. You tend to be doing the same things every month, whereas in book selling is actually you you're learning. You you know you learn the shop and you learn learn the titles and learn learn what happens. That's a much steeper learning curve. I think you have more fun, or certainly certainly I did. Yeah, um, you know, publishing is is probably more interesting in book book selling in its entirety because on the whole. On the whole, you're doing you're dealing with a global market rather than either just your shop or just a chain or whatever. But you know that, that's 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 just me, you know. Yeah. Having done yeah. both, you need a grounding. I don't, I don't think I was ever a classic salesman. I have to say, I meet I meet classic salespeople. They can't kind of help themselves. They just have to sell you something, whatever's <laughs> whatever's going on. Whereas I was I was more an enthusiast, if you like, and 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 also if you if you can. Talk to people about stuff that you're interested in. Quite frankly, the selling kind of comes. Yeah, there's fairly, a huge, fairly straightforward. Yeah, as you say, it. there's a huge amount to be said for for enthusiasm. Yeah, really. Yeah. Um, let's go back a hundred fifty years or so, and um, look at uh, what um, or how publishers, who were typically to start with. The uh, booksellers. Yeah, they're both, aren't they? Yeah. 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 I mean, you look at Johnson's Dictionary. It's a it's a group of booksellers that mm-hmm. got together to put up the money to 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 print and, and publish yeah. it. So they back say in the in the mid eighteen hundreds, there were bookstores and there were libraries. I don't know if if you're that familiar with how they actually went about selling no. it, but I thought I'd throw it out anyway <laughs> not particularly I think uh, I, I, I'm not I, I don't really know I'm not I'm not a sort of super historian of of, 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 of the industry and I, I don't quite know when serialization finished as well you know all the Dickens Dickens and, and, yeah. and I think the early Thomas Hardy ones um, were also serialized there's a lot of serialization yeah. going on and then at the end putting them in putting them into a book yes and yeah so, so I'm but I, to be honest I'm not I don't know, quite frankly. Okay. What, what, okay. How that how that kind of worked. Um, I just want to get to the roots because I'm going to start on a line of selling and yeah, sure. book sales, book sales, and I know, I know that uh, 
I know that lending libraries were really important. And yeah. then Heinemann came out with some uh, kind of a one book instead of three volumes, it was one volume. Mm. And that sounded the death knell for the lending libraries. He made them affordable, in other yeah. words. And that would have been around the turn of the century, 1900, 1910, thereabouts. Mm. I guess the question then is, libraries were really important. Yeah, very, very much so. And I think, I mean, the, the libraries are all part of the, 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 the you know, certainly in the, in the UK, part of the Victorian enlightenment for the yeah. for for everyone everyone you know, the working the, class the working yeah. class and, 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 and self-improvement and all that so, you know, yeah you that's what at, drove the everyman library yeah all all that and I said if you look at if you look at the the, the dates above you know um county libraries and uh, and town libraries in in britain they'll all be basically all start with 18 something yeah all of them it, it was a great thrust if you like um and that's and they would have been they would have been sponsored by on the whole um, private subscription on the whole, yeah. but not but not always, and, and and then and then the government slowly gets more and more and more involved. Right. Um, but certainly, right up to um, right up to the to the eighties, nineteen eighties, libraries were were providing a huge uh, amount of su- support or, or or finance for for publishers. And how would those those be? Would they be sold to individual libraries in cities around the country? Well, even now, the the, 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 the sort of library consortium is a, is a, is, a, is a kind of a confetti of different different things. <laughs> okay. and, you know, there are various attempts to get get setting the buying buying for libraries into into sharp order. But yeah. I can only imagine it's been it was. It, as as disorganised as it is now, quite frankly. Okay. So everyone will be doing their own buying, their own buying, essentially. I mean, not, the sourcing might have been from different places, but okay. Um, so you didn't start out in the eighteen fifties. I didn't suggest <laughs> that because you're about the same age as I am. Uh, but taking it back as far as you can, then, how did you approach, or did you approach selling libraries books? By the time I, I got there, there were there were things called library suppliers. So that okay. was uh, Holt Jackson, Askew's, um, and they were they were those places which bought books and then put them into libraries, and they would they would service them first and still do, you know. Um, what does that mean? It, it means either putting you know plastic jackets on them, okay. uh, putting the barcodes on them, and um, I went up to. Um, one of them once I can't remember which one I think it's Holt Jackson and Preston there was one county library let's say call it Worcester Worcester County Library wanted their book serviced in, a, in one way right. and Worcester City Library wanted it done in another <laughs> way which was just insane right. insane yeah um, and so but that continues to you know that continues to this day in the in the I mean they're now amalgamated with the wholesalers the, the, the trade the trade wholesalers you know those those were f- fine businesses which had been going for many 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 years and at that point your your rep or uh, nice that Michael Joseph used the word traveller because that was yeah. a, you know, that, the, the travellers were the people on on the road and had huge yeah. huge power and so those people have been that way of selling had been had been going on for a very very long time right. very long time yeah. I don't quite know how long but certainly. In the thirties, maybe, and uh, I remember um, certainly in the in the Faber archive, there's a there's a, there's a note from T. S. Eliot saying this, the the, the catalogue isn't isn't good enough. You know, it's it's you know sell sell sell. You know, this, the copy's really dreary. 
Um, you know, to, to us, Elliot really cared about sales. You know, it wasn't, mm-hmm. wasn't all, all, all the wasteland. And, you know. Yeah, or so, a banker. He wasn't a, <laughs> just a banker. No, or no, a poet. He, he was a bit, no, you know, no, quite. So the the, the, the catalogue was always the kind of the, the main thing. And, that, and for the independence, that's, to a certain extent, it's still the same. You know, the, the catalogue for the season, you know, the, the independents still have these physical catalogues, almost all of us, whereas the, the corporates t- tended to have abandoned them. The library market as a percentage of all sales, that has, I guess, that shrunk quite a bit, has it? It has, and it's also not easy. To, now it's not easy to find out because all the buying is done through the wholesalers. It used to be done individually when these people were independent, but right. now, now that all of them were bought by the wholesalers, all of um, the all of the library suppliers, right. Askew's, Holt Jackson. Um, okay. Um, now you just get a lump order from the wholesalers, which will include the one or two library suppliers that they own. So, but we we don't necessarily get sight of that. But even when they were independent, the, the the library the library market was quite unless you had a big author and there was a special print run. On the whole, you the money was becoming not particularly material. So I'm going back kind of ten years now, probably. Whereas so the the library market for some for some fiction was still was still important, particularly you know, sagas and romance and uh, and all that kind of stuff, but it, it was already it was already getting pretty insubstantial. So what does that mean? Is it it was five percent of yeah, your business? Tops, yeah. Okay. Tops. Okay. Um, and probably still is that now, but it's sort of hidden within the whole the wholesaler kind of mechanism, if you like. Right. So um, do you have? Salespeople that call on those wholesalers, yeah. yes, and present the books yes, and exactly. try and tell them that this is going to be big or yeah, important, exactly. or and we happen to do it through the alliance, so it's, it's, we're not we're not going to the wholesalers. The the, the paper people are on our on our behalf, but that's a, that's a, a technical thing. But it, it's it's um, yeah, and they're important customers for us. So so, gardeners and Bertrams are big customers of ours. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that and that includes the li- the library sector, but they don't really make a they don't really make a difference in terms of a print run, uh, or in terms of our our kind of publishing, and I think uh, some of this is about ebooks. Some of it is, um, in that the, the 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 people who really consumed genre, um, you know, go down to the library, get the ten crime books, or the you know in the crook of the arm, go home, read you know book a book a day. Those people have, have a lot of them have emigrated onto onto e because yes you sort of have to pay, but you sort of don't. You know you, there are a lot of cheap ebooks out out there, or you can go onto a subscription. Or if you're really consuming those kind of, so those people don't necessarily need to go to the library mm-hmm. uh, in the way that they in that way they used to. So there is a there's a correlation between um, library usage and and ebook usage and usage. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so uh, what else do you do uh, when you go to the wholesaler? What what else do they cover off? They supply the independent sector. Booksellers. Yes, some independent booksellers will will want to um, deal with a publisher direct. Yeah, um, and they might choose to see five or ten or fifteen or twenty. Um, but of course, that's a quite a, a large uh, that's a large amount of time spent buying. Yeah. Um, or they'll do that, but order through the wholesaler. So. 
it'll come, all the publishers' books will come in one box rather than twenty, right? Or at least five or so. Do they, is there some kind of price discount if they deal with the wholesaler versus the, directly with the publisher? It'll be slightly like, different. Yeah, okay. it will be. Yeah. Get, they'll get better terms from us on the whole. Directly with the publisher, directly yeah. With the publisher, okay. Just because there's a, there's you're not dealing with a, a middleman. Yeah. Um, essentially, the, the, the wholesalers are very competitive, and therefore they will try, they'll try to match, and then in some cases they will. But also there'll be, the wholesalers will be offering, a kind of rebates, for you know if you put a certain amount of money through, you know us, i.e. Burton's or Gardeners, then you'll you know we'll give you five grand back at the end of the year or ten or you know or whatever. So there are plenty of incentives going on there uh, in order for them to to buy from them rather than from the other wholesaler or indeed from <laughs> weirdly directly from us. So it, really, it's those um, libraries, the independent sector. The, the kind of places which are where books are not um, the main thing, yeah. so therefore they were the whole whole range. Again, that's one that's one phone, phone call, one order pad, one delivery. Um, but if you're, you know, if you're a stationer that happens to run a nice little run of books, or you know, you're in a tourist town where you need to up the up the books in you know June, July, and August, you'll use a wholesaler for that. But it's not your main. You know, it's the, these are there's a mixed product or multiple multiple product. Um, Smaller stores on the whole, so there's a there's a sort of non non trade aspect to it, and the other the other one which very much is a trade trade aspect is Amazon, because Amazon will try and get the books as quickly as possible. If they run out, on the whole, the wholesalers will operate a twenty four hour service. So therefore, you know, Amazon, where the customer is, is king. That's why they're so damn successful. Uh, yeah, tough business uh, operating methods, I have to say, but. Uh, yeah, so if if it means that getting the, from a publisher is going to take them three days, and from a wholesaler is going to take them one day, then they may well use the wholesaler instead of going, going using the publisher or the publisher's distribution. And the final major uh, plank in, in the wholesaler's armory is um, is export, and gardeners particularly strong in export. So up to I don't know the numbers now because they haven't shared them with us recently, but it can be done. That has increased the, the, in their business hugely, that area. And it's now 30, 40% of their overall business. And maybe more, maybe more. So and again, that's British, or uh, sorry, English-speaking countries that would order from the wholesaler your books. So, yeah. so they would be bookstores in all sorts of English-speaking countries yeah. that want books... They'll they'll go to the wholesaler and so we've done we've done extremely well with um, the tie-in of uh, Call Me by Your Name. The film film was, was out. It did win didn't win a whole bunch of Oscars, but it was it was you know it was one, it was one of the sort of a lot of shortlisted. Um, the film was was okay successful, but the book attached to it well, and the book came first, and then they made a film of it. We've done extremely well with that, and the reason you know we we've sold more, almost more, to gardeners than anyone else. Because gardeners have been piling it into the Far East, the, the, the film has been a, a sort of big cult there. Uh, it's, a, it's a sort of gay novel and a gay um, gay film, but it, it's a sort of dressed up in a way which is palatable to everyone, I think. Well, that's the Italian movie. Yes, yeah, 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 I saw it. Yes, yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking, yes. what the hell movie is that? Am I out of the loop here? And no, 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 I, no, no, I've no, actually no, seen it. It's one yeah. of those nice books nice where the yeah. book and the film are called the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Bagana's were really selling, you know, they were absolutely going gangbusters with it. And it wasn't because the independent sector in the UK had embraced it in a major way. It's because they were selling to Thailand and Taiwan and Japan. And, and again, these would be just 
all sorts of booksellers in those countries would, yeah. would come to them. Yeah. And, and they then, would ship them out individually or whatever the order yeah, was. Because, yeah, to, if you're going to do have British-centered books and you, you know, you've got a whole bunch of other stuff, you might have some American books and some local language stuff or whatever, then using one, yeah, one yeah. wholesaler's... It makes a lot of difference, yeah. You know, how, they manage, how the wholesalers manage to make that work in terms of margin, you know, I don't know, but that's... You know, that's, that's, that's <laughs> it's not your concern. <laughs> not but concern. they're getting a whopping big discount off you anyway when they yeah, buy they the book. That's true. Yeah. So, so there the is whole, some margin to play with. That's true. So the, whole, you know, the wholesalers are, are, are... I mean, in some ways, they, they, they don't necessarily create that much demand though they do have they do have catalogues but they're essentially a sourcing you know, I mean they do have salespeople and they certainly have salespeople in the, in the in the international territories certainly and again saying buy from us rather than from publishers direct what do they do they go around each bookstore yeah pretty much yeah and your salespeople don't do that um, they uh, they do yeah they do in, in some ways we're competing with each other the gardeners people may go around a bit more often or it might might be easier for them or it's part of an ecosystem quite frankly if mm-hmm. you've got if you're a bookshop in manila let's let, let's say a you've got us editions versus uk editions we're competing in that in that market and the manila bookshop might say you know what i'm i, I do enough business with penguin in order to deal with them direct but i don't do enough business with atlantic to deal with them direct, so all my Atlantic stuff goes through the wholesale. So there's a, there's a question of um, of scale. Okay, so we've we've covered off the wholesalers who cover off the libraries and uh, the export market and the independents. Who who else would you sell to aside? <laughs> <Who's left? laughs> the obvious ones would be like the supermarkets and what you sell directly to Amazon and the chains. Yes, in some ways the business has changed, and in other ways it hasn't. Like probably like all, all businesses, mm. after the net book agreement went in nineteen ninety five, there certainly there was there the, the started to be mass consolidation, both in the publishers and in the and in the booksellers. That's when it was sort of a free fall of pricing because it's a competition. You could price it whatever you want yeah. after ninety five. Yeah, and I, th- yeah. I think it, it, it was the expansion of the eighties, and that did continue through through the nineties. What did happen with the net book agreement is that. It expanded the market, but at the same time, whilst whilst it did that, it became more competitive. So there was, was a sort of weird kind of gold rushy <laughs> thing about it. it in the olden days, which is probably now, uh, yeah, even up to two you know, late nineties, you could acquire. You're looking to acquire a book, and you know, as the salesperson, I go, I'm going to put three hundred into books, etc., five hundred into Borders, you know, some into Otakers, some into Dillons. Some into Waterstones, some into Hammocks, some into Books um, Volume One, some into Thins. You know, there were a huge amount of huge amount of chains that you kind of had a control. You mm. knew roughly the kind of book it was, and therefore where it would sell yeah, the best. Yeah, yeah. But also, you'd know you were going to be selling to up to ten bookshop chains. And this was you know mm. this was only twenty years ago, mm. and now there's only one. Yeah, we're taking Smiths aside. You know, Waterstones has become has become that thing. And what what do you think about that? Well, it involves a different kind of selling because it's 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 sort of all or nothing. You know? Well, yeah, and if you don't, <laughs> if they don't like your face, well, then you'd send someone else in. That's I guess. probably true. <laughs> well, but well, still, and Waterstones, you know, have turned themselves around. And I think that you know they're, they're they're doing an excellent job, and we're very we're very fortunate 
um, in the UK to have a, a, a you know, 280 strong book chain in a small island of ours mm-hmm. that, that cares about you know, selling quality books. And it's been been through a number of number of iterations, um, reflecting its ownership. But at the moment, it, you know, yes, you know the, the the discounts are high. Yes, they they certainly don't take enough of our books. And they've got a monopoly. That and can't essentially, be good. essentially a monopoly. That, well, I guess there's the option of buying it online now. That's yeah, and that's the it, it's sort of become sort of become binary, sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, but the independent sector now is doing well. They can't offer the same discounts, though, can they? Or? Well, Waterstones don't really, they don't particularly want to. James Dalton, who, who runs Waterstones, is always, the great thing about him is he's believed in the product he's selling. And that sounds really basic, but it's really, really important. He believes in the value of books yes, and exactly. not, not so, discounting them yes. and treating them like a commodity. Exactly. Of course he has to be practical. And of course, if you, if you, you know, yes, there are, there are three for two, um, you know, paperback tables at Waterstones but that tends to you know they they'll use that tactically rather than strategically I, if they really feel they need to do it then they'll, then they'll do it but mm. on the whole they're trying to sell books for full price so they push they push back on us if we're going to put our prices up because they again well you know if a published book's £25 on rather than 20 they're going to go Christ we're going to have to sell this thing at 25 rather than 20 because that's what the price is okay. whereas going oh that's fine we'll knock it down to 10 quid anyway so Waterstones is a kind of interesting place the other thing that's happened recently is that you know amazon have also stopped discounting in a way that they than they used to amazon really is about market share and they i think they got to a point where they thought actually we're not going to get much more market share in the physical book space kindle's more important to them anyway so we'll call it quits there and you know so now you'll you'll find the discounting is far far less on amazon than it used to be Hmm. because they've they wiped out as many independents as they can. Waterstones is still standing, and therefore they've they've sort of called a halt, if you like. <laughs> but it means that there's less of a, there's less uh, there's less of a, an obvious bargain to be had online. So therefore, that's allowed Waterstones to sort of consolidate, but it's also allowed the independents to give a very very different experience. So the the independent sector, which which had year after year of misery through the. Um, late 90s all of the noughties most of this decade as well have bounced have bounced back basically because I think the ones who survived are very very good and so therefore they're very good bookshops yeah they're very good at uh, cultivating a clientele and what giving them what they want and talking to them about what's good what's not so good what's Available. The power. The power of recommendation is still really important. Mm. Well, not, it's not still important. It's always been important. And yeah. only, only got more so now that time is so precious, and certainly, particularly on the on on the people who 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 want to read the more literary stuff. stuff let's say they don't want to waste their time on a difficult book which doesn't get them anywhere. Mm. They want to read a book that, that is that is difficult and gets them. You know, is brilliant. You know, or, yeah, or is, yeah. is not that difficult and gets gets them there. So. People don't want to waste their time with that, and so the so the power of recommendation is really really important. Mm-hmm. And word of mouth has always been the best yeah, that's, seller, right? That's true. That, yeah. that is that is true. Uh, uh, yeah, at the moment the ecosystem in the UK is is about as healthy as I've seen it for a long long time. Even though the numbers and we're still are less, the increase is less impressive than it was, but it's still. The value of our business is still going up. I'm talking really about the trade sales in, in, in the UK. 
and the value and the volume's going up a little bit as well. It's quite healthy at the moment. And you think it's because of people that are hand selling the books better than they used to, or I think there's been a slight return to to analog in that there was a, there was a, a love affair with E, mm-hmm. uh, and that's dropped back a bit, and therefore right. um, leveling off at what, uh, yeah twenty five percent or um, yeah about that yeah. yeah it depends what it depends what kind of what you publish but, but um, certainly our turnover is about twenty percent or so but yeah. on our on Corvus our more commercial uh, end it's more like forty or fifty percent so, so the, yeah so the, the, the ecosystem in the UK at the moment is is is, is pretty good. Mm. Just uh, fo- can we, if we can focus on yeah. why you back been, to the selling. <laughs> yeah, why you've been so successful in sales and marketing? Why have you been so successful? <laughs> Never good to ask a, 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 an English person that. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's true. Kind of <laughs> We're not very good at that. But I think I stayed. I, I stayed at Faber a long time. You know, I was there for twenty-one years. So, I, I think. There's some basics around around selling, and they're really basic. Half the time, it's just about turning up. <laughs> you just have to. I've be, heard that before. Yeah. Persistent. Be, and... You just have to be reliable. You know, yeah. don't, don't be a jerk and turn up. You know, because <laughs> you, know, you can't. The, the stuff that you're selling can speak for itself. So you make sure it gets in front of the right people. Yeah, and and, and the, the trade is very is very structured. You know, you you, you have. A, monthly appointment and you know you go in and sell your wares and and then you you know you come back the next month you know I think that that the reason that I've ended up doing you know being the managing director and publishing publisher of Atlantic app from a sales background is that as opposed that, to editorial which is yeah typically where where they come from that's true though yeah. um I think that the the people the sales people who could read we're always going to do quite well in this environment. My my previous boss at, at Faber was a guy called Stephen Page. He came, you know, he was a, he was a sales guy. He, did, he was a sales and marketing director of HarperCollins, and then went, went to went on to run Faber. So in, those two things are kind of the same. Or someone like um, I know Richard Cable, who's very very senior at Random House, running the vintage and uh, other sides of the business. Again, came from a, a sales environment. So if you knew the market and were, and were commercial. And had those uh, disciplines. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say skills, because I don't think there are many. You know, selling skills is, is just uh, is really about who you are. Um, it's about being enthusiastic, as you say. It, it, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not, you can say there are some selling techniques, and you can learn them. But in our business, it's not not really about that because you're going back month after month, or you know, you know, every every two months or every quarter or whatever to all these people that we've we've talked about yeah you can't yeah. you can't really screw them because on a sale and return universe which is what we have if you really piled in with, with something and oversold it so you know that person has used you know that bookseller has used 10% of their buying budget supporting you and you've you've sold them a pub then it's going to be pretty tricky to do it again well, and they can return it anyway. Exactly. Yeah. And in so some that ways, just, that just pisses off your employer. Yeah, and it means that they've backed that book as opposed to another book, which would have done better for them. So, it's you. You have to know when to really go for it and when not to. Otherwise, you, you can't. In other words, it's your you editorial judgment how good that book is, or how well it was. Certainly on the selling side, how well it would sell mm-hmm. for that for that particular customer. Right. It, 
the, the worst salespeople are the people who try and sell everything because they're really boring and a real pain in the ass. At the same level. Yeah. Yeah, as if they are. Every, so every, everything, everything's going to be Da Vinci Code, you know. Right. So, um, <laughs> well, you know, that's just not to di diverge too much here, but that's the thing that's so annoying about the whole publishing business is that every book gets such bullshit accolades <laughs> that it's they can't all be that good no and, but they all get that and no. you talk about the salesman being annoying well the blurbs are annoying <laughs> they sort of have to be because in some ways that's the only thing you've got to sell the book to the consumer mm -hmm. you know we haven't really talked about but it, it, it um, well that was my it, next it, yeah, no, step it, here yeah and I think often the, the jacket is the only thing that, that the consumer has to go on they have to sell the book because you know, sometimes there'll be nothing else, nothing else. Well, there is something else, of course, and it's the it's the content. Yeah, the, the, but you can't you, you can't read the book in the bookshop. You know, that's well, some people try. <laughs> there, there, there are one or two, you know, and, 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 and you know, all power to them. Really. <laughs> You're right, I and mean, the, the the wider point is right in the in the publishers publish too much. And you know what? That's the point that Jeffrey Faber made in, in yeah. the twenties. And, and yeah. Michael Joseph made in the forties, fifties. It's yeah, exactly. It's, it's still like, happening. It's still happening now. Yeah, and I suppose they're all chasing a bestseller, aren't they? They're chasing the yeah. hope that one will hit it really, really big, and that'll make up for hundreds of other titles that are mediocre. You don't always know. To, yeah. That's the genius of our business, yeah. and also the weakness. I mean, publishing is a, is, is, a, is a fabulous fabulous mix of opposing forces. And the biggest one for me is the empirical, i.e. what's happened before, and then what can, what, and the, the creativity, if you like. Mm. There's a reason why J.K. Rowling, Harry Potter, was turned down by whatever it was, nine or 13 publishers. Mm. Because, you know, a, a bloke flying around on a broomstick wasn't really where, that, where children's publishing and reading was at at the time. It was a very um, gritty, realistic issues based type that's what people were reading and that's what they wanted so therefore this rather whimsical private school um, with all this stuff and it just didn't wasn't part of the part of the market so that's the empirical side going we mustn't publish this yeah and the others uh, and the other side going wow this is an amazing amazing book or or you know what it just might sell and of course the first two didn't so the first, first two, two harry potter yeah, first two harry potter didn't so it was the third one that really and then really, retroactively yeah and then retroactively so, I didn't know so the first two Harry Potters could be argued that that was part of the the disease of overpublishing because they didn't sell. Right. So we're in this kind of opposing opposing universe. So therefore, you go, well, we're publishing a debut no, a debut literary novel, novelist or Christ, let's say short stories, and you know you're not going to make much money on it. You know that you know we only have a certain amount of slots every year. To publish and therefore is it worth what worth one ninetieth of our endeavors for the whole year because we have nineties mm -hmm. clearly not but at the same time what happens next might well be so that that's part of an over publishing problem you go well, we're going to play a long term game with this yeah yeah so, loyalty yeah, yeah. And, and and just you know the first first book or first two books or first three books don't really sell of any but the fourth one might be jackpot yeah. Let's get to uh, just in winding down. Uh, get to uh, so we we've, we've covered the travelers and the yes the sort of traditional sales. So, but you haven't really answered that question. You just said you got to be yourself and show up. 
That's, yes. I don't know. If, <laughs> there's got to be more to it than that. I, I think it's a mix. It's uh, as you go up the, up the levels. Certainly at the lower levels, it's about turn. It is about turning up. You making the sales calls. Yeah, and, making the sales when you give them give them a pack and off off you off you go. And then yeah. um, at the next level up, it is about pushing back into the process. And that's what a, that's what a good salesperson does. Saying if we package the book like this, or it actually we position it like this, or I know that it's going to sell like that. Then we need to the the, the sales the salesperson's job within within the publishing process is about representing the market, so that you're you mean along getting s- customer feedback. You mean. Yeah, yeah. And, and know and, and knowing it as well because you can't talk to every customer each time. You need to make a small decision in publishing. You have to kind of know it and there, and be in touch with it. So therefore, you are alongside all those publishing decisions all the way. You might be ignored occasionally. And you go, you know what, if we put that jacket on there, Waterstones aren't going to buy it. You know, or, or if Waterstones says they're not going to yeah. buy it, they want that jacket. Yeah, they and want, they'll dictate to you. Yes, but also, you'll, you, but again, you can't ask Waterstones about every, every, every jacket, and you, and you shouldn't. You know. um, eventually, pu- the publisher has to make the decisions. You know, yes, of course, you, if you want retailer buying, you, of course you go and talk to them. But you can't do that for every book. Uh, and you shouldn't, quite frankly. But what's uh, this got to do with being a good salesman? You, you're relying on your salespeople to get customer feedback that will a- affect how you sell the book. Yeah, you're an intermediary from the from the right. from the market into the publishing, so that the, so that the publishing is fit fit for the market, it's fit for purpose. Yeah. So that's again, we're getting to the definition of a good. Of that's why that's, you've been successful. That's how you get ahead because you've taken account of what the customer wants and that's how you've marketed your book and you feed it you feed it into the publishing process and whether that's on the, on the marketing marketing side or the sales material or the priorities you know if you are publishing too many books which which we all do the, the ability to prioritize is also extremely important yeah we'll leave that that that's a medium-sized book we'll do medium activity on that this book is yeah. a, you know what I've got a hunch about this book we're really going to kind of go for it so allocation of resources yes you're not you know you're not playing managing director but you are playing this is what I think the markets will do with these things and therefore you're inputting into all the decisions kind of from top to bottom I think there's a bit of the publishing process where you actually have to the salesperson has to leave <laughs> and then, <laughs> well and for then example return. the editorial side obviously yeah yeah, no, you can't, yeah no, I think there's a, there's a bit of sort of it's when marketing and publicity, you know, you again, sales are always going to be on more on the empirical side than the than, than the flamboyant side. But at the same time, they desperately need the creativity that marketing and publicity can produce in order to go to go out to the customers, going, "I've got, you know, I've got some magicals, I've got some magic here for mm-hmm, you." Yeah. So in, ter- in, ter- in terms of a, a salesperson's career, be great at selling, know and be liked by the customers. Make sure make sure you're the best call of the day. In other words, they have the most fun with you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you may not have the best stuff, but hopefully you do. Yeah, just just be the call that they look forward to. That's okay. that's that's the, the mantra at that level. And then the next level up, when you're more in the kind of in the office, is to is to inform the publishing. And that's probably why I did well. You're harnessing both. You understand the publishing process. You understand what people need from you, and also what they need. They, they need from you and what you need from them and being able to know that articulate it and then make it happen mm. when you're not necessarily in charge is part of a, is part of representing the sales area so representing the function correctly into the, into the publishing process that's what happens when you're the, the UK sales director of, you know, and you're, you're setting strategy and 
uh, you're, you're the last on the whole the last place in terms of customer negotiations or you know of course there's general management and allocation resources and and all that but essentially what you're doing is representing the market into the into the publishing and that's mm. really important well and the, and the, <laughs> the, the publishing firm has to believe that you understand the customer the best yes you no can't one. be arguing with people all the time about which way to go with a the way the thing should look for example yeah you have to be acknowledged as the source of the best information yes absolutely and, and that's a powerful place to be in a publishing company very there's, and there's also there's no one else in the publishing company who who is placed to do that no everyone you know Everyone's got, a, everyone's got a view. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, particularly on an independent side where we tend to be not particularly hierarchical, there is, it is quite discursive. Yeah. Um, there are lots of people in our meetings who feel they've got a, got a view about stuff. Yeah. But eventually, it's the, it's the sales director who said, the market's like this. You might want to ignore the market and say, we're going to go for something fresh and actually the market will follow us. And that happens, of course. But having someone really solid giving you really good if you do this this happens if you do that that happens that is really important mm-hmm. so so and having a good track record of course yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know i mean there are some rather basic things like yeah. being able to set a budget and hitting them because <laughs> that's where you start the, the budgeting for, for for the year starts at the top line each product if you want to call a book that is unique Yes. So that you get a say on almost every yes. fashioning, every yes. product that you then turn around and have to sell. Yes, exactly right. Yeah, spot on. Okay, just then uh, moving from that to going directly to the consumer. Is that a trend? Is that something that you're doing more of or having to do more of with your website? Or are you seeing an increase in sales going directly to the consumer? Or? We, I mean, we're, we're, we're a small trade publisher and therefore uh, we're not a particularly big brand. Um, you know, I, wish, I wish I was saying something different. Clearly, when there are, there are poor relations with the retailers, then the um, desire to deal directly with the consumer becomes strong. And all our business is basically intermediated by bookshops or libraries or wholesalers or exporters or whoever. Um, so therefore, you get very poor data around who's buying your books. So therefore, you know, intuition and experience and all, all that kind of stuff, in some ways, is over, it's over-indexed in our business because we don't have proper data. So the bigger companies are desperately trying to get what they call big data. So the thrust is often not to sell books. I mean, all the bigger companies have, have direct-to-consumer websites, etc., etc. But most, most of all, it's about re- reading habits, and it's not about selling. It's actually about about finding out what consumers want and and who they are, and then going out to them, then go out and, and and where they actually buy their books from is not particularly not particularly bothered. Though there are you know there are smaller presses than us maybe on the academic side or very much more niche publishers who will have who will have good direct consumer they'll, they'll have the names and they'll, they'll, they'll have people who buy stuff from them every month yeah um, but for a general trade publisher that's really hard because yeah. we're publishing you know a range of novels and you know it, it, it doesn't our, our output in its of itself doesn't 
you know, hopefully it's all quality and it's all, all good and we have you know, strong reputation in certain areas. But it doesn't mean enough to say, oh, actually, I'll, I'll have one person following our publishing because it's too, it's too broad. But if you're a niche publisher, then, you know, either on the left wing or the right wing or, you know, Remember, uh, green or, you know. Remember Golance's left... Yeah, yeah, well, the left book club. Book absolutely. club, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but what you are trying to do is develop a community around your authors. You know, there are there are kind of brands and sub brands within within this, and you can argue that the publishers up the top, but also, you know, um, with the bigger properties, you are trying to draw people to towards them, and certainly on because our, that that sells more books, I guess, because what they'll want to buy all their backlist as well. Yeah. And also, readers want to. They're not really bothered about what the public publisher was. They 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 have loyalty to the author. Yeah. So yeah. therefore. With our with our more successful authors, they are they're not all of them are great on social media, but they have some kind of community, and right. either they've developed that themselves, or they've developed that with us, or we've developed it for them. That's really important, but it needs to be a consistent offering. So if you're, um, I don't know Robert Fabry who, who writes kind of roaming Roman epics, you know you can do that because you know number six will be the same kind of place as number five, and it'll bring it'll it'll bring them on. So you can you can create those worlds. But it tends to be either for huge properties, big big authors, or ongoing, ongoing genre writers, and right. we do and we do plenty of that. And that's, is that the future, though? Is that I guess that's my final question: is where like how are you adapting to all of these changes, and, and how has the sales function, marketing function, changed, and how will it change? Some of the stuff is exactly the same as it's been for many many years. Get the get as many books into the bookshop as possible so that people can see it get as much traditional media that you possibly can you know being interviewed on the today program you know is, is still a, a big deal having the, the lead review in the sunday times all that shifts books and that was that would be the same in 1961 as it is in 2000 2018 is it those levers are still there. Now you can argue that there's less, there's less books, there's space for books and reviews and all that kind of stuff. But on the whole, that still works. That kind of analog process-driven manufacturing, you know, leading up to publication, getting you know advanced copies out to people who are going to blurb it. All that stuff has, hasn't changed much. Mm-hmm. Um, what has changed is e- e-books and certainly Amazon means that you can sort of play with, not play with rankings, but you can certainly do things with your metadata. You could go to Waterstones and go, you know what, it, this book's number 10 on Amazon. You haven't taken any, you know, there's clearly a demand. So you mm-hmm. can, I mean, you're, you're yeah. always slightly maneuvering around those bookshop chains or saying, oh gosh, this is a, this is a success. But really the, the kind of law, the law of threes, as I call it, still exists. If someone to buy a book, they have to have had three impulses to buy it. So let's say this, they hear it something on the radio, they see an advert on the tube uh, and they see it in a bookshop. One, two, three, off to the till, nine ninety nine. Thanks very much. Um, and so those those things still exist. What has changed is yes, you can build communities for your authors, or they can build it themselves either through website or social media. Yes, people can have platforms, you know, mo- mainly on social media, but maybe other 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 stuff as well. Which you say, okay, you've got the nine hundred thousand people who know you. I mean, we're publishing a book called Histories of the Unexpected. They have these guys are, have come from different environments. Sam Willis is, is a, now a TV presenter, pretty much. Um, James Abel is, a, is more on the academic side, but they have, a, they have a podcast which hundreds of thousands of people listen to. It means that publishers can now go to people like that saying, 
okay, there's a, there's a platform. We know that there are 200,000 people who know about history of the unexpected. Every week there's the, the people doing it. And so therefore that's in some ways, if you go, if you like, the empiricism of it, when you get it right, a blogger or a blogger or who someone who's extremely influential, probably to a, a, quite a, a, a small age group, well, look, look at Rupi Kaur, the the poet. Yeah, exactly. On Instagram. Exactly, and, yeah. and so, in the early days of social media, it's just like I think there was a feeling, there was a feeling it didn't sell books, but it was going to be important. And I think that's that now now has happened. But my God, it doesn't. It's not A B C D. It really isn't. You can have someone who is well known, but the the product that you're you've got, and just because someone's well-known and well-liked and has and guess what it's probably funny and influential and intelligent you've still got to produce a book that actually kind of encapsulates that and then yeah. it's good for the people who, who, who like so it's not alchemy is the wrong thing but it, there's a it's an organism really that you have to sort of fashion <laughs> you have to fashion into get get it in the right thing yeah but that has changed that is definitely something that has changed you have got these places where there are the, the people are out there in, in the universe and more people are could, more popular more, yes right more people are more popular that's also true and you um, can as a publisher you can proactively sort of seek out yes all these people exactly in a way and that, then come up with ideas that they yes. might and, and approach them I and, guess. and before then it was just like editorial going this is a good book and then you kind of broadcast as much as you can you say to everyone this is a good book yeah. now you can be much more filleted much, much more directed, much more, and, and that's why it, you know the use of data and the ability to have data is so important to to, to any creative industry. But you know, and, and publishers are a part of that, and yeah. that's why the, the bigger companies who have bigger reach and more consumers are, are, are hunting after this. But they're still we're still in the early days of the science or maths of publishing. We really are. <laughs> you know, we're still thinking. Most books are still published because the editor thinks it's a good book. Yeah. Or at least it's it's similar enough to a book that that author has sold before. That yes, there's a bit of a conveyor belt there, but essentially it's still it's still that because we don't really have the reading data. It's coming though. It is coming. Yeah. But even so, even then, we're still at a point where most of the data we're getting is interesting rather than useful. Just because you know that most people stop reading on page sixty three. How does that help the next book that you're going to do? Is that just like okay? Well, we'll make we'll make sure that you know the, the romantic hero appears on page eighty three rather than sixty three. Well, you know you can't really you can, that, that only works in very confined areas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? So we're on the we're on the cusp now. But it's only it, it's social media and being able to talk talk to people is is clearly is something that's changed. But broadcast, i.e., just scattering it out there, it still still works. Or when it, when it works, you kind of know why it, why it has done. I guess chasing after these popular podcasters or bloggers and producing books with them that may sell books, but I still think it, they're not necessarily good books. They might be just mediocre, and they appeal to people that that these podcasters appeal to. And yeah. not, that's not a way of what really... I mean, what Jeffrey Faber talked about was... The whole idea, the whole reason behind this was to produce really good books, not just mediocre books. I think you, you, you sort of have to do both. In that, my, my predecessor here said you publish books to make you money and you publish books to make you proud. And ideally, each book does makes you proud and, and makes yeah, money. Right. I mean, it, 
is right, but also it, it, I think it's about the short, medium, and long term. That you're doing um, you're doing some things for quite short term. You know, uh, vampires are in, so therefore we publish a vampire book. You know, it'll sell to a certain level. But because it's the fifth vampire book rather than the first one that broke, broke, it's going to sell not very well. But you know, and that's that's either pragmatic publishing or maybe a bit cynical or or whatever or you know that thrillers sell so therefore you've got some mm-hmm. some of your output is thrillers yeah you're going to cover your costs though yeah and I think yeah. entertaining entertaining people through re- through reading is, is you can't be too po-faced about it I think you, you, you can mm-hmm. look at, but in a publishing house like mine if we did certain stuff which was popular we just wouldn't be really we wouldn't be good at it it's not in the spirit of, of, of the house you know and that's not really why people work here so there are certain things that you steer away from. Um, so I, I think all of us are in publishing to try and add value into the into the world. Sorry, it's a cliche, but it, we're trying to make the world a slightly better place, or yeah. we'll make it understandable, more understandable for others, which means that therefore people, you know, either behave better or you know, there's definitely a vocational element to that. And so therefore, yes, publishing, you know, crossword puzzles or whatever. Is a means to an end to a certain extent, or but you, you still you still enjoy selling books, you know. But in the end, there is a there is a high mindedness probably about publishing, mm-hmm. um, and it's but it's not all about publishing, you know, Nobel Prize winners or um, th- there's a middle ground if you like, of, of of pragmatic, decent books that sell pretty well, which means that you can you can reach for the high ground as as well, but not in a kind of indulgent way. Ideally, that book um, Rome. Uh, by Matthew Neal, which is Waterstone's book of the month at the moment. That's uh, that's a book that uh, has made us money and made us feel proud. <laughs> mm. uh, so they do, they, they you know they do exist, uh, and you try and do that with every single book, but it's not necessarily always possible. But you are trying to, with every single book, you're trying try to to get, get humanity to understand, stand itself just a wee bit better. So, that, so there is a there is a high mindedness, mm-hmm. but sometimes you need you need to be on the low. Lowlands for a bit too. <laughs> Anything else about the role of sales and marketing in the in the whole sort of world of the book that you? Uh, I think, as I say, some of it is still very traditional. There are there are still travellers going around. There's still you know, there are you know I don't know how many people in the publishing industry in the UK got in their car this morning, drove twenty miles to a bookshop, and you know went through. A, the whole catalogue of stuff, probably a hundred or, 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 or maybe two hundred over. So that that's all, eh? Probably in terms of the of people, act, the reps going round store by store. When there are all those chains, lots happened at head office level rather than at branch level, or you know, in the independent sector was in retreat. But there's still that that still kind of goes on. What what I think has changed is that the, that you that the retailers probably demand proof of concept now in a way that before they didn't really if you if you pushed hard enough you would probably you'd probably get somewhere you know set the reps big targets give them what they feel they need and go out and you know block out the light in bookshops mm-hmm. that push is not you simply can't do that now a there's a level of caution happened in book booksellers Wallstones also kind of demand proof of proof of concept so you can't just go out with something that's untried and just go we'll put out 10, 15,000 into the market. So how do you come up with that proof of concept? Then? Well, either your person who's got 2 million followers on Instagram or oh, okay. you know, you've got your, plat- yeah. your platform. If yeah. you don't have that, then you have to build it. 
Um, and that's not just about advertising in the bookseller. It's it's about creating a story, creating creating a, a real tangible sense that this is something that that, that will happen and it's it's real. And you can't do that for every book. Mm-hmm. Um, so therefore, there is more. The pull is much more important than the push. Um, push is still important. You, you know, you need books in bookshops. You know, and, often, and the marketing. A lot of the marketing we do is still to, is still towards the trade because if you think that almost all our books are sold through the trade, then mm. getting the trade on side is still extremely important. When you start talking like that, it feels very retro, conservative, you know, legacy business. <laughs> but it's it's the fact that most of our income is is mediated by five or six big places, you know. So that hasn't changed, but the the, the attitude to what is coming out of attitude from retailers to publishers and our, their attitude to us is like give us something we can chew on rather than don't, don't ask us to make a pun so therefore everything has to be more careful everything has to has to has to mean more give us the tools to give the customer a better sales pitch why why am i going to sell this book rather than rather than that one in some yeah. ways that's always happened but you have to build something more than the dream for each book mm-hmm. these days and that, that's why a big social media press is, is, is presence is is attractive to a publisher, but at the same time, the book itself has to be consistent. Mm-hmm. It's not all. It's, it's not all about that. You can do, you can make things happen, not without out social media or not. Or, but you can ha- you have to, you have to be pretty convincing about about that. And I think that's the the main in, in broad brush terms. That's that's the thing that's changed. Before you could probably do a good job on the trade and 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 then you'd get some publicity and marketing around the around the back, if you see what I mean. But now you have to, it has to be all of a piece, I guess. And that, which means the sales and marketing have to talk to each other even more, even though it's, it's quite a, a quite a similar piece. And also, but you have to be really clear about why the consumer would, would, would buy it in a way that you didn't necessarily have to be so articulate about it 10 years ago. Yeah. And, then that, and that goes back to having good data about the consumer. You know, And again, sometimes we have to fake it and sometimes we have to kind of buy the information in. Or that marketing bit has to be, has to be convincing and not just fluff <laughs> <laughs> well thanks for not talking fluff to me <laughs> today I'm not sure if I answered the question anyway. <laughs> any of the questions but... the objective of this podcast is, is to understand as as best we can the book everything to do with the book mm-hmm. and this has been enlightening and uh, thank you very much for your time it's a, it's a pleasure it's lovely to talk to you I've been speaking with Will Atkinson, who is the Managing Director of Atlantic Books UK in his office in Bloomsbury, London, England. Thanks again.